0: Well, last week I preached on Hebrews 11, and the story of Abraham and Sarah. This week I am preaching again on Abraham and Sarah, some of my favorite stories, this time from the book of Genesis. And uh, this is my last Sunday with you all. Uh, in just a couple of weeks we'll say goodbye to our uh, family, our congregation in Drayton, and then head out to Michigan for a couple weeks where we'll see family who we haven't seen in like a year and a half uh, and then head down to Gallup, New Mexico where my husband and I will co-pastor a church there. We figure it's probably about the worst time of the year to move to the desert, but what can you do? (laughs) Um, But it's been a real joy and a gift for me to be here with you again in the past year. And so um, as kind of a parting gift, I guess, I wanted to preach on my favorite text to preach on that I have so far preached on. (laughs) I may have a new favorite in a couple years, but this is currently my my most favorite text to preach on uh, about the promises of God, about joy, and about laughter. Um, And so I hope it's a gift to you, not only as I kind of leave, but now as we head into summer, summer that hopefully will be filled with joy and laughter, right, as you get together with people maybe you haven't seen in a while. Uh, so this morning I'm reading from the book of Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf, gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Well, I really have a child now that I'm old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If something sounds too good to be true, well, it probably is. Sometimes it's pretty obvious. So obvious, in fact, that my email warns me not to respond. It's like the email I got from a Mr. Peter Howard. Hello, my good friend, he starts off. Good day, and how are you today? I hope this email finds you well. I'm using this opportunity, he said, to inform you that this multi million dollar business has been conducted with the assistance of another partner who financed this transaction to a logical conclusion, he wrote. I don't know a lot about finances, but I'm pretty sure that's nonsense. Then comes the flattery. He says, due to your effort, your sincerity, courage, and trustworthiness, You showed during the course of our transaction. And then, the promise. I have left an ATM Visa card for you worth $1.2 million. Just send us your name, telephone number, bank account number, and your mailing address. (laughs) A quick perusal of the subject lines in my spam folder. Shows I've got tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars coming my way. The promise is so absurd, so impossible, that it's actually a little bit funny, right? Because if something sounds too good to be true, well, it probably is. In our Bible reading this morning, God gives Sarah and Abraham a message that sounds too good to be true, maybe even a little bit like a scam. It's the middle of a hot day. Abraham is lounging at the tent in the shade of an oak tree, trying to stay cool. The afternoon slump is setting in as everything and everyone shuts down for the hottest part of the day. Abraham's eyelids are growing heavier and heavier. He feels himself beginning to drift off. When he looks up and three traveling strangers are approaching the tent, Abraham jumps to his feet, the consummate and courteous host. He runs to meet them. He says, let me get you some water so you can dust off your feet and rest in the shade. Are you, are you hungry? Let me get you some bread. Hurrying into the tent, he finds Sarah, maybe dozing off with her Sudoku book, flopped on her lap, reading glasses perched on the end of her nose. It's nap time. Sarah, we've got guests. Quick, you make the bread. I'll find a calf and the tent is sent into a flurry of activity. And just like that, the traveling strangers are eating this meal of veal with a side of hot-from-the-fire bread, cheese, and a tall glass of warm milk right from the source. Abraham stands off to the side, attentive to their needs. Where is your wife Sarah? one of them asks. Sarah's ears perk up at the sound of her name And she moves to the entrance of the tent to listen in, just out of sight. I mean, it's a little odd that these complete strangers would know her name, right? But maybe they just overheard it, you know, while everything was getting ready. Oh, she's in the tent, Abram says. Then one of the travelers says, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Who are these people? weird enough that they would know her name, but how did they know about the promise? Earlier in Genesis, God had promised them that they would have many descendants, that God would make them into a great nation so that all the families on earth would be blessed. From the time God called Abram, when he was 75 years old, descendants or children have been part of the promise. But as Genesis 16, verse 1 puts it so bluntly, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. In view of this, God's promises seem unbelievable. If they had no children, there would be no descendants. So as you may know, Abram and Sarah tried to help God out a little bit. Abram had a child with Hagar when he was about 86 years old. It's a pretty common practice in the day, but it didn't really go well for Abraham and Sarah. It only amplified Sarah's pain, her jealousy, her own feelings of inadequacy. And it's been 13 years since then. Abraham is almost 100 years old. Sarah is probably about 90 When God first promised them many descendants, that was unbelievable. But now some 24 years had passed since then, and God's promises have been delayed to the point of complete impossibility. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is this mysterious traveling messenger's promise to Sarah sounded about as likely as me getting a Visa debit card loaded up with $1.2 million. And so Sarah laughs to herself, just like Abraham had laughed the last time God reminded him of the promise. Not only was Sarah unable to have children in her prime childbearing years, now she is post-menopausal, there is a 0% chance that this is happening. And Abraham is not exactly a picture of virility anymore. As Walter Brueggemann points out, Abraham and Sarah have by this time become accustomed to their barrenness. They are resigned to their closed future. The gospel does not meet them in receptive hopefulness, but in resistant hopelessness. At this point, God's promises seem so absurd, so impossible, it's actually a little bit funny. But not like a ha-ha, I'm having such a good time kind of funny, more like I'm going to laugh to keep myself from crying kind of funny. Maybe Sarah had been optimistic, you know, 24 years ago, but now she knows better. She knows that if something sounds too good to be true, well, it probably is. She knows better than to get her hopes up. Sarah's is a laughter loaded with pain and despair and cynicism. We might be familiar with the sound of Sarah's laughter. We have heard it come from our own mouths, from the mouths of the people who we love, Frederick Beekner tells a story about after one of his speaking engagements, the daughter of an old friend came up to see him. And he writes that she told me this horror story about her marriage, that her husband had been diagnosed with premature dementia, and he'd lost all sense of judgment. He would disappear for days at a time because he wanted to get a book out of the library, but the library was 600 miles away. And so he went, but he didn't bother to tell anyone where he was going. And he'd lost all their money, and they were being sued by all their creditors. It was just a hopeless story, Beekner writes. He said, I could see nothing in it that suggested there was any way out of it. And as she told it, she kept laughing. This awful, chill, unearthly, inhuman laugh as if the only way of surviving her pain was to make a joke out of it. God has promised us resurrection life, a life marked by close union with Christ, by meaningful and fulfilling relationships with each other, a life marked by shalom, by peace with God, with creation, each other, even peace within our own selves. But someday God's promises for resurrection life sound so absurd, so impossible. That's actually a little bit funny. We know this laughter that covers up our pain. but It's not a ha-ha, I'm having such a good time kind of funny. It's more like a, I'm going to laugh to keep myself from crying kind of funny. We hear this kind of despairing laughter on our lips when depression or anxiety threaten to choke out the last bit of life and hope in our weary souls. We hear this despairing laughter on our lips when another month of fertility treatments have passed with no new signs of life. Or when a conversation with a parent or child or spouse ends with raised voices and slam doors every time. When another week of work has passed, And your boss still doesn't recognize your hard work or appreciate your effort. Abundant resurrection life. Will we have this pleasure? We laugh to ourselves. Yeah, okay, maybe when that Visa card from Peter Howard comes through. And we laugh because we know better. That if something sounds too good to be true, well, you know. Sarah's laugh gives away her hiding place at the tent. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, he says, I'll return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, sometimes there are questions in the Bible that are rhetorical questions, and we can tell that from the grammar of the original language, and the answer is obviously meant to be yes or no. You might expect that this is a rhetorical question, but actually it is not. This is not one of those times. The question, is anything too wonderful, or some translations have too hard for the Lord, this is a genuine, open-ended question which means that it is calling for a response. This story gives us reason to believe that God's faithfulness, I'm sorry, the interesting thing about it, though, is that we don't hear Sarah's response. Because on one hand, it probably doesn't matter all that much that God fulfills God's promises to Abraham and Sarah regardless of their response. The story gives us reason to believe that God's faithfulness is not conditional on their belief. It is not conditional on the strength of their faith. If you were to turn the page in your Bible, you would see that that's the case. It says, The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. God fulfills God's unbelievable, hilariously impossible promises to Abraham and Sarah. They have traded in their walkers for a stroller. They have traded the sound of Jeopardy at night for the sound of Peppa Pig and Paw Patrol. God has traded in their despairing, cynical laughter for the unmitigated joy and delight of a baby's belly laugh and toothless smile. Isaac, the child of laughter. The conventional wisdom is that if something sounds too good to be true, then it probably is, but such is not the wisdom of the God of Abraham and Sarah. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? The Bible is full of testimonies like Sarah's that show us, as the Apostle Paul puts it, God was able to do what God promised. God turns Sarah's despairing laughter into joyful laughter, and that radiates from her family out into the world. She says, God has brought laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. As people grafted into God's covenant, united to Christ in his death and resurrection, God acts on the same way on our behalf today. As God fulfills God's promises to us, God turns our despairing laughter, our cynical laughter, into joy filled, hope filled laughter. Back in the mid 90s, there was a Pentecostal charismatic movement or event really that came to be known as the Toronto Blessing. Maybe you remember it. It took place out in a church by the Toronto airport. And people who attended this service at this church, they would claim to have these kind of extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit, like being slain in the Spirit, right? They'd just be knocked to the ground by some force, or they'd claim to be physically healed from pain or illness. There were even these strange reports of people barking like dogs and roaring like lions. But the phenomena I am most interested in this morning is what they came to call holy laughter. Laughter. One person reports that in worship, as they began to focus on the unbelievable grace of God, on the good news of the gospel, this person became completely overcome with joy, so much so that they couldn't help but laugh, like there seemed to be no other possible response in the moment. And soon the people nearby them began to laugh uncontrollably as well. And this laughter would move through the congregation like a wave, like they were doing the wave at a baseball game or something, but it was laughter. Now, it probably won't surprise you to hear that the Toronto Blessing garnered a good amount of theological critique and disagreement, not least of all from folks in denominations like our own. And I get that. I think it's right. We are called to test to discern manifestations of the Spirit. So if we hold up this example of holy laughter to the testimony of Scripture, is it possible that this is one way God's Spirit would be present in the church today? Don't get me wrong, if one of you starts laughing uncontrollably, I will be just as uncomfortable as the next person. And yet we claim to have faith in the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of the one whose name means laughter. But God may not deal with folks like us in such dramatic or over-the-top ways. Maybe those instances of holy laughter don't resonate with you. Maybe when God turns our despairing laughter into joy-filled, hope-filled laughter, It's more like this story that the neuroscientist Sophie Scott tells about her father. Sophie's father was very ill, and everyone kind of knew he was about to die. The doctors didn't know what to do for him anymore, and everyone was just kind of sitting around his bed, waiting for something to happen. And her father suddenly said, We sure have laughed a lot, haven't we? She said, Yeah, we have. But at the time, she thought, what a strange thing to say in that moment. Years later, as a neuroscientist, Sophie Scott studies laughter, and she realizes now how profound a reflection that was. She says, if you can look back on a life with lots of laughter with the people around you, with the people you care about, those are not wasted times. Those are the good times. Those are the times that really matter, And let yourself value that rather than thinking that's a silly or a trivial waste of everyone's time, like you should spend your time being very serious about things. She says it's worth taking the laughter seriously. God's response to our despairing laughter may not always be a kind of euphoric, charismatic, holy laughter that eclipses all of our problems, Maybe for people like us, the God of the one whose name means laughter shows up in smaller ways too. In the laughter that we share over funny memories of a lost or estranged loved one. In the jokes that catch our cynicism, our stoicism off guard, even if it's just for a minute. When I think back about the past year of ministry here at Community, I'm going to remember the laughter. Of course, I'll remember the despairing chuckles over the phone when I asked how you've been handling the pandemic. Or the despairing chuckles we shared as staff when another lockdown was announced. Like, this thing is just never going to end. But I'm also going to remember the laughter of the people in the first service we had together when people were allowed back into church. I'm going to remember the laughter of people hanging out outside afterwards, even though we told you every single week to not do that, please. (laughs) I'll even remember what it's like to see the laughter of people on Zoom when they have their microphone turned off. And I'm going to thank God for the chances I had to laugh with you. It is worth taking the laughter seriously. This unexpected, unbidden laughter is the echo of Sarah when God had fulfilled God's promises to her. The good news of God's promise for resurrection life sounds like joyful laughter, like unexpected good news breaking into the world where the news has been bad and the laughter has been cynical for far too long. It's comedy in the highest sense of the word. Something so unbelievably good that it is hard to believe. Something so out of the ordinary that we laugh until tears stream down our face. But as Frederick Buechner writes, these are glad tears at last, not sad tears. Tears at the unexpectedness of things rather than their tragic expectedness. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Our unexpected, joyful laughter is God assuring us that no, actually nothing is too wonderful for the Lord, and that is the news that is too good to not be true. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you for this gift of your word and for the goodness of your promises. Help us now to receive what we have heard as that which is too good to not be true. And fill us with joy, with hope and laughter as we wait on you. Amen.